And the other crucial piece is understand that you are already divine consciousness. You're not becoming divine consciousness. You're not becoming more divine. You're already all that is. So the trick is not to try to get anywhere, but to unget. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> really, it's to stop trying to achieve this thing and really just settle into where you are. And when you settle into that, you will know your divinity. This is Unconditioning, Discovering the Voice Within, with Whitney Ann Jenkins. Hello and welcome to the 26th episode of Unconditioning, Discovering the Voice Within, where I bring on guests and we talk about the inner authentic voice and the challenges and rewards that come from following it. This week I have with me Catherine Lennard. Catherine is a channel for divine consciousness and her work is devoted to helping others connect with their own inner wisdom more clearly and directly. I was introduced to Catherine by our common friend Matteo, who I've had on a previous episode. And I'm so grateful for this introduction because I, I've had the pleasure of having several healing sessions with Catherine and I just really love her style. She's direct, She's gentle. She has the most soothing speaking voice. So you're going to love hearing her speak. And she has a lot of wisdom to share with the world and to help us integrate into this sometimes crazy human experience. I'm really delighted that Catherine chose to share her story and time with me and us. And I feel that as you hear her, you'll understand and get more of a grasp of what she's all about and what channeling is all about. And so, without any further introduction from me, here is Catherine. Whenever you're ready, we'll get started. I just want to make sure you feel comfortable and grounded. I think I'm grounded. Okay, perfect. I'm ready. (laughs) So, um, the theme of this podcast is we're talking about the authentic inner voice. And people discover that in different ways, and they express it in different ways. Some people through creativity, some people through art, and you very specifically through your channeling work in a very unique way. But what I want to get to first is you had to go a lot of places in order to get to where you are. And so I was wondering if you can recall the first time that you ever realized that you did have an inner voice of your own. And it wasn't influenced by your environment or your family or anything around you, but you were very clear that this was you. Uh, well, what a great question. The, the first moment that I had such a visceral experience, literally visceral experience of it, was during a workshop at mm-hmm. Esalen for somato emotional release. It came at a very odd time (laughs) in my life. There was a whole bunch of stuff going on. I had worked for years and years and years and years to try to get in touch with my inner voice. And I got to the point, given everything going on, that I honestly kind of had given up. I was just like, okay, this isn't happening for me. Let me just be the best body worker I can be. I was doing massage and body work at the time. And so I went into the class with the attitude of I don't know anything I'm not going to figure this out I'm just going to show up and play along Mm -hmm. and on the third day we did a meditation a guided meditation to get in touch with your inner wisdom or inner physician and I had an image (laughs) of 
like a cartoon heart, really. And it said its name was Will. And I thought, how unoriginal (laughs) (laughs) that this is how it comes to me. Um, But then after that, we partnered up and we were supposed to be asked, our partner was asking us questions that we had written down before the meditation. And so I sat with my partner and she started asking the first question on my list. It was like three questions. And I started answering, but it wasn't something that had a thought first. I wasn't thinking about what I was going to say. I just noticed an answer coming out. And that was the first moment. (laughs) It, it, It was just like, oh my God, what is happening here? This is very, very weird. And as the week went on, I sort of played with it and got clear on it. It getting clear on it honestly took months and months and months all said and done. But that was the moment. It was a very specific moment. Of course, after that happened and after I got more comfortable with it, I then realized I had been having that experience my whole life. I just didn't recognize it as such. Uh, okay. Had you gone to Esalen before or was that like a first time experience for you? I had been going for a number of years and I had been going basically for body work continuing ed because I was working, I was doing chronic pain and injury rehabilitation. I was very technical, honestly, very cerebral, very technical. I knew the anatomy and the physiology, and I was working off of scientific data to do the work I was doing. And, um, but I had also taken hypnotherapy and studied that. I also have uh, had at the time an undergraduate degree, actually had at that point in time at Esalen, had gotten my graduate degree in clinical psychology. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, because I was trying to transition out of body work and into something that wasn't going to break my back as I <laughs> aged. Right. So, but I had been going to Esalen for years. I think the first time I went was in either 2003 or 2006. I think it was 2006. But I just went every year to get credits to keep my national certification for massage and body work going. But it was all very clinical. I wasn't going there to do anything spectacular or creative. I just I needed the credit. And I was, again, doing very technical work. Yeah. So looking back on that, can you think of anything that happened before that experience um, that you knew that something was going to break through for you? Or was it just allowing yourself to surrender? Was there something that kind of forced you to surrender that moment or just allowing it? I think that's a great question. And I'd like to say it was a combination of two things. One, that I had been working on it for years, even though I didn't feel successful. The work on it had been trying various forms of meditation, guided meditation, transcendental meditation. I had a pretty strong intention to want to develop this. So I had been working at it. I had been studying psychology. I'd been studying hypnotherapy. I'd been working at the, I was actually running a massage school for a number of years. And so I was exploring chakras and auras and just (laughs) kind of picking everyone's brain that I could to get more information. I read a lot. So I, I think I had created this knowledge base that paved the way, but never got me there. And so the thing that put that knowledge into experience really was the surrender, the 
I'm not going to figure this out in my head. And to this day, the work that I do, I have to get out of my head to do it. I have to stop trying to think about what I know and just go into the I don't know state. I see. So when you do go into this state of, would you call it channeling? Is that how you would describe it? That, that is how I label it. Okay. Yes. Um, so is there is there something that you feel specifically as you're going into that moment? Uh, when it first started, it was a very palpable feeling, like something was moving through me that was not me. And yet was very familiar to me. It, it wasn't like being possessed. I went go that far. It wasn't like an auditory hallucination, but it was a very strong feeling of whatever is speaking to me. And in the, at the very beginning, it was only yes, no questions. So it was really just nodding or shaking my head, but it was this feeling of it happening to me. It sounds like I'm being possessed, but it's, it doesn't <laughs> feel like that, partly because it feels like such a friendly, mm -hmm. loving uh, force, I suppose that really does feel like it's coming from within but I don't I'm not deciding to do anything with it so so maybe more of a knowing well in the beginning it was a palpable sensation I don't even know how to describe <laughs> it other than there's a sense that there is something bigger than me here that is speaking to me through me that is part of me but also more than me more than what I am more than what I know myself to be and then over time, it integrated more. I got more comfortable with it. And now it just feels like me. So how long did it take you to integrate that enough that you were able to share it with other people? Oh, I started sharing it right away. <laughs> I actually started the first person as soon as I got back. Well, I was playing with it the last couple of days I was in the workshop. And I didn't really say anything to anyone. I was just playing with it. And then part of the mess around all of this was my mother had gone into the hospital like right before I was supposed to take this class and mm -hmm. it was it was this moment of like oh I've been waiting years to take this class it only came around every two years at the time the last time I'd come around I didn't have the money <laughs> to take the class so it was like oh, if I don't do this it's going to be another two years and I had this discussion with my parents and my dad was like just go it's going to be okay so when I left Esalen from that workshop, I drove straight to the hospital because my mother was still there. And I decided I was going to talk to my dad about it <laughs> because uh, to be perfectly honest, mental illness runs in my family. And my first thought was, oh my God, I have a brain tumor or something's wrong with me. Like this, mm. is, this is terrifying. I mean, it doesn't feel bad. It's not telling me to do terrible things. In fact, it feels nice, but I'm going to ask my dad because I think he'll tell me if he thinks I'm crazy or not. So I started with him and then, and he, he was surprisingly receptive to it because my parents, they were much older. They were 40 when I was born. They're from a small conservative area. I thought, well, it's part of the reason I asked him. I thought, if anyone's going to be suspicious of this, it's going to be my dad. <laughs> he was a lay pastor. He used to uh, substitute minister in the church uh, back in Ohio where I grew up. And, and I told him, I said, I'm having this experience. I feel like God is talking to me and I need you to tell me if you think I'm crazy and tell me the truth, be honest. And he said, well, 
I believe you. And honestly, you've always been a little bit different. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> Glad you waited till now to tell me. Oh, wow. um, and then I immediately after that, after I spent the day with my mom and she, she was fine, everything worked out okay. But um, I have, I was working in massage and body work. I had all of these friends who were into spirituality and all of this kind of thing. So I called one of my friends and I told her about it and she was very welcoming and gracious and excited. Never doubted me for a second and let me experiment with her all the time, which is how I really got good at it. <laughs> so it seems like you had a great support system around you. Um, I was going to ask you about your parents and your background with that to see how that influenced, um, but it sounds like it probably couldn't have gone better. In that moment. I mean, yeah. I grew up in Ohio. My parents were very conservative, very Republican. Um, I wasn't even sure. I wasn't really sure growing up their relationship to God, to be honest. Um, we, we did go to church for a period of time, but then we stopped. They didn't make us. Um, my dad said he, I, I learned later, my dad said he talked to God every day. I don't <laughs> remember my mom ever talking about any of that. I went through a period of time growing up where I didn't believe in God. I was mm -hmm. completely, at minimum, I was agnostic, if not downright atheist. I'd gotten to science. I was like, it's science or nothing. Mm -hmm. Big bang theory. All this other stuff is a bunch of hooey. Um, and then I moved to California right. um, and did a bunch of clinical work. And then I got fed up with my life. So I went to massage school and then I started having these sort of weird experiences with it. Um, and so that's where the support structure came from. And it was all, you know, in retrospect, beautifully divinely orchestrated to arrive where I ended up, but I wouldn't credit my parents for it. They, my dad was extremely gracious when I when I brought it up with him and I'm forever grateful for that. I don't think I would have brought it up to my mom, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I was always a little careful with my mom. I was always a little careful with my dad, <laughs> <laughs> even though, I, I mean, I mostly went to him again to make sure he didn't think I had lost it, um, lost my mind, but I was careful with them because they're very old fashioned. They were very old fashioned. Yeah. And you have to protect yourself too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. I want to freak them out. <laughs> and speaking of boundaries and things of that nature, are you able to turn this gift on and off? Like if you walk into a room, have you been overwhelmed by all of the information that comes to you or how does that work? Yeah, another great question. When I first started, uh, I didn't want to turn it off. I was terrified if I turned it off, I would not be able to turn it back on. Uh, I almost don't want to go to sleep at night because I was afraid I would wake up and it wouldn't be there. And so f there was a period of time that the simplest thing of going out to a restaurant was, uh, I wouldn't say overwhelming, but I was feeling a lot of stuff. I could feel everybody that walked by. I could feel every energy in the room. And some of that was lovely and some of that was intense. Uh, over time it integrated. So I wouldn't say that I can turn it off, but I can turn the volume down or up. And I do that throughout the day, depending on what I'm doing. That makes sense. Have you ever encountered a situation 
where you were aware of something that someone needed to know and you were did you cross that line of telling them or did you (laughs) (laughs) you have really good questions (laughs) really nailing it um in the beginning yes in the beginning I was it was like a new toy to be honest I wanted to play with it nonstop and see what it could do and I ended up in a couple of uncomfortable situations, uncomfortable for me, because I am, I actually have always been very shy and very introverted. And so feeling guided to tell a stranger something was extremely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uncomfortable. And I, I made some friends uncomfortable in the beginning. I definitely pissed some people off because I spewed stuff out they didn't ask for and weren't ready to hear. Uh, and then I got better. I got better at at checking in. Is this okay to share? And do I want to? Do I want to be in that position? One of the most valuable things I learned along the journey of understanding this capacity is I'm not obligated to share anything. I can know everything and not say anything. It's about making myself comfortable. And that's so important to me. Right. Um, At what point did you feel you were ready to charge people for your services? Was that something that you struggled with or were you pretty confident that you wanted to do that? It was a bit of a transition. I, I, so after the workshop and after visiting my mother in the hospital, making sure that was okay, I came back to work on Monday and I was doing body work. So I started integrating it into that work immediately. Mm -hmm. information would come through and I would also be sort of guided as to how to present it to a client so that it wasn't so invasive and overwhelming Um, and then it kind of transitioned more people started coming for that extra (laughs) bit of information Mm -hmm. and then I got the message one day to quit doing body work which I wanted to get out of anyway and that took me a few weeks to it wasn't so much the ability by that time I was really comfortable in my ability. I had done it enough with enough people that I knew I could trust what was coming through and that it was useful information. Uh, so the shift for me was, can I make a living at this? Will I get enough clients? Because body work was so easy for me and I, I never struggled to have clients with that. And I, at the moment that that occurred, I was not doing that great financially I I didn't really want to do body work anymore so I was slowly doing less of that and I wasn't quite sure I could make a living at this and then I just heard I call it spirit I heard spirit say my inner wisdom if you will uh you have to drop this last client and then the rest will come and like that is terrifying and this has not led me astray so far so I'm going to do it and so I fired my last client and it just happened. I don't even know how it happened. It just came out of the woodwork clients. Because you were following your intuition and your inner voice and your authenticity. Yes, I absolutely true. But in terms of putting it in logical, practical, I can point my finger at this. No, I mean, there were definitely moments. And like one of the biggest boons to my practice was going out to dinner with a friend. And I, I felt this my inner wisdom saying to talk to the waitress like that's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. Um, but I threw it out there and that turned into 
a good chunk of my business. All of my client bases came out of just day-to-day living, something mm-hmm. I had to do, looking for an apartment, doing this, doing that. And But yes, because I was following my intuition, because I was listening, because I was speaking when I was guided to speak. Yes. you were, And as I was guided to speak. You were listening as you were being spoken to. Mm-hmm. I, I feel, because I've had readings with you before, um, I feel like your body work definitely helped you, though, in integrating all of it, because you were very attuned to the body in the readings that I've gotten with you. So is there a way that you integrated both of those things? Yeah, I, well, first of all, in that transition, I was doing them together. I was, and it actually took a little bit of time, now that you mention it, for me to believe that I could do the channeling without the person in front of me, my hands on them, because that was such a conduit for me. Uh, I, I like to think that everything that I've done is integrated into the, the information. And for me, a lot of the type of work I do is clearing stuck energy, stuck emotions. Mm-hmm. And that is something I feel very viscerally. And in very practical terms, my knowledge of anatomy helps me understand why something shows up in this part of the body versus that part of the body, because I find the body to be very literal in that way. So, and it helps me be more grounded. It helps me to be more present because in order to, uh, to do it well, meaning accurate and to not get depleted by doing it, which is a, is a real, mm-hmm. can be a real issue. I have to be in my body. And so, yeah, body work, definitely helped me be more grounded, helped me be more aware on that level, and was my first avenue in. Yeah, is there a specific kind of ritual or anything that you do before a session with a client to protect your own energy? Great question. Well, if if you've worked with me, if you ever <laughs> listen to me at all, ground root center is my number one mantra. You have to be in your own body. So my ritual is to take a breath or two into my spine seat legs feet and that really it's not trying to get anywhere it's just taking a moment to become present to now and to wipe my mind of any particular agenda except to receive to listen to the client or the group or whatever I'm interfacing with and divine consciousness so uh, it's never been more than just taking a moment to breathe into my spine seat legs feet and let let myself settle into that state Mm -hmm. and would you say that you've had people who have been influences in your life and maybe a mentor who have guided you along the way since you found this gift within yourself well like anybody i have many (laughs) so many some of whom are are a direct influence and some of whom are influenced by opposition (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, and or indirect influences. Um, The first book I ever read that started to open that aspect of my awareness was uh, Shakti Gawain, Living in the Light. Uh, That will always live in my heart as the thing that opened a crack in the door. (laughs) But I've, I've, I've read so many spiritual authors attended conventions, listened to all kinds of teachers and healers who have come before. Uh, And honestly, 
grad school work really helped just learning to listen with that kind of ear. Uh, I think the biggest gift some of those teachers gave me is uh, not needing to come up with an, with an answer or the solution, but just to listen. And it's the same listening that allows me to hear divine consciousness. Oh, that's yeah. good. I like that. Yeah, so many, so many influences and teachers, no specific mentor. There's no one, one person I would point the finger to and say, this is the person who helped me, but collectively all of them have uh, influenced me and taught me one way or another, what to do, what not to do, how I like it done, how I don't like it done, what works for me, what doesn't work for me, mm -hmm. what's possible. That was a big one because a lot of this I didn't even know was possible. And, and there is an inherent limitation in that. If you don't think you can do something, you don't bother putting your attention toward it or, or trying to see if you can. So right. just seeing other, other channels, other healers work, like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Could I do that? I'd like to be able to do that. Wow. So you're kind of leading into my next question for you. Is this something that you feel is teachable to others? I do. I absolutely do. I think everybody does it all day anyway. I think a lot of people aren't really interested or sufficiently interested. And when I say that, I don't mean to say that it takes a lot of work. The trick is understanding how you receive information. The biggest obstacle for me for many years in retrospect was I thought you would see it because I heard all of these psychics say, oh, I see this and I see that. And in my head, in my imagination, it was it's showing up for them like a television screen mm -hmm. or a movie screen. And I didn't have that experience. I still don't have that experience. I still don't really see things. So that was a big deal, a big obstacle for me. And, in, and yes, in, in the work, uh, if you're interested in it, I think you're capable of it. And the trick is not to think you know how you're receiving information, but to slow down and pay attention to how you actually receive information because everybody does it differently. Oh, I can definitely relate to that because I've struggled with that myself because I don't see the visual things either. Um, and so I was like, what am I doing wrong? Yeah, um, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Except trying to think that that's how you should see it or the only way that you can. No, right. we receive in so many different ways. I mean, technically, there's a few ways you see it, you hear it, you sense it, you know it. Uh, but how that shows up, is it more visceral? Is it more in your head? Is it more? Um, I don't see things, but sometimes I have an image that I recognize as a metaphoric representation of something. I'm into music. So in the be beginning, I would hear song lyrics. <laughs> okay. Like, why am I singing a song? I didn't hear this on the radio. And I'm like, oh, it's telling me something. Wait a second. Shows up differently. Yes. I've been talking to a lot of people in my circle, um, even my sister yesterday. Mm -hmm. And we're all kind of like feeling that there's a bunch of shifts happening in the world. <laughs> Yes. Um, collectively, energetically, and like we're not sure exactly what that is, but maybe you could speak more to that. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of shifting going on. Uh, it would be hard, perhaps, to summarize it in in too finite of terms, but I would say in general, uh, a couple of things. One, 
the planet's always shifting. Sometimes it's more palpable. It's certainly more noticeable to certain types of people like empaths and healers and intuitives. Uh, I doubt if you ask just anybody on the street that you, everyone will say the world is changing. It's getting worse or whatever, <laughs> whatever the general opinion is. Uh, but at the level you're discussing it, there, there are always shifts going on. And I think we've, a lot of us on the spiritual path have become more sensitive to those. So it feels more palpable. Uh, I will say this, spirit says this over and over. This reality was built for God to experience God as not God. It's a playground. It mm. doesn't always feel fun like a playground. <laughs> But the overarching intention of the reality of, an, of the old paradigm, reality is to have that experience. So the ego structure in that form is built to sort of block the awareness of divinity. And that there isn't a collective movement towards enlightenment as a whole. There are individuals incarnate that are moving further away from that awareness. That's the progression of multiple lifetimes, if you want to think of it that way, that we come in sort of new and innocent and then go through a series of experiences, different incarnations, different lifetimes that at first move us further and further away from remembering our divinity. And then on the other side, move us closer and closer back to remembering our divinity, but with all of this human experience, all of this ego experience. So uh, the shifting that happens ultimately is for the souls that are moving towards the end of their experience in this reality to have that opportunity mm -hmm. and to keep the playground interesting, Spirit says at some level, it's just to keep the playground <laughs> interesting. but. Um, but nothing is, hmm, as it stands, nothing is intending to terminate the reality. As dire as it can look sometimes, it's not an excuse to you know, not pay attention and be responsible, but uh, the reality will, will persist as long as divine consciousness wants it to. And while on the surface, different humans will wake up and others will get further and further away, at the end of the day, the experience is more or less the same. You come here in a body, you forget that you're divine. Maybe at some point you start to remember that you're divine and then you stop incarnating in a body, at least in this reality. Is that getting too far out there? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. You're answering the question of why, like, why are we here? What is this whole existence for? I think that we're all wondering so, and one other thing Spirit's been saying a lot lately is the, the more palpable or intense shifting that we're in right now is probably, probably has another six to seven months to go. So uh, I, I think I want to say here, because you mentioned protecting myself earlier, yeah. <laughs> think what this practice has allowed me to understand is there's really nothing to protect yourself against except your own ego mind. Mm. I mean, there are certainly things in the physical reality that can be dangerous, but the soul itself is infinite and eternal. 
and you're not going to leave here before your soul decides to leave here. There's, it's not possible for the ego to oppose the soul because the ego is a creation of divinity. There's nothing outside of divinity. There's no devil. There's nothing that can oppose divinity. It is all that is. So the only battle you're ever fighting here is with your own head. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That, su that sums everything up. <laughs> yeah. And according to spirit, there's no such thing as two souls in conflict with one another. So wherever you see people at odds with one another, it doesn't mean we should all have the same opinion or belief system, but where you see two people really arguing with one another, somebody is not listening to their soul somebody is not in touch with the truth capital t absolute truth so there's not much we can do about that on the global scale but we can do quite a bit about it on a personal level which is don't get pay attention don't ignore practical reality it's not just an illusion it is in a manner of speaking but if you're hearing it it's as real as anything you know so uh pay attention to it but don't think this is all that is don't think that there's something terribly wrong don't think that there's something that you have to do do what you feel good about doing but don't force yourself to do things to be a quote good person because you may be standing in the way right so fulfill your own self and it will have a ripple effects on everyone yes it, it really does because we are all interconnected. So the, the more you can be in a state of lightness and joy, the more you're making that energy available to everybody around. Now they may or may not take advantage of it, but you can't do anything about that. You can't make someone step into the light. You can't make someone remember that they are divine. Right. I really like your description of the playgrounds, though, because that really draws in everyone's inner child and the joy of just being. Yes. One of the things I love most about tapping into palpably into divine consciousness is it really is lighthearted and playful. It, it, it is. It's not a prankster. It's not a trickster. It's not. We're not here to learn lessons. We're not being tested. It doesn't do that. That all comes from our ego mind. But Divine consciousness itself, when you can feel it, is just lighthearted joy. I always say love, peace, joy, bliss, grace, ecstasy. And that's like scraping the surface <laughs> barely of what it feels like. It's just such an infinite state of delight. And again, most people have had that experience at some point in a moment, even if you're so involved in something that you love doing that you you lose track of time you know the psychologists call it the flow state mm -hmm. that that's an aspect of it yes do you have any advice to help someone maybe get to that place oh, i have tons of advice <laughs> we don't have that much time uh, i do always start with ground root center divine consciousness is now it's only palpable in the now because it doesn't it exists everywhere and therefore only here and now so if you're thinking about it in the future someday i'll get to you're nowhere near divine consciousness uh, i always say ground root center come back to i i 
tell people the ego is like a radio receiver with two channels inward where everything is divine outward where most things are stressful in various ways to varying degrees so tuned inward you can find the place within you where you're okay not love peace joy bliss grace ecstasy that's more of a result than a pathway to divinity mm -hmm. the pathway to divinity is really just coming into this moment and realizing right now i'm okay right now everything is okay in this moment it is it may not be around you but in this moment you're okay and the other crucial piece is understand that you are already divine consciousness you're not becoming divine consciousness you're not becoming more divine you're already all that is so the trick is not to try to get anywhere but to unget <laughs> right <laughs> really it's to stop trying to achieve this thing and really just settle into where you are and when you settle into that you will know your divinity right and would you say um so being okay sometimes we have to confront certain things we're experiencing like emotions or anger or frustration or grief so we have to move through those to get to okay instead of not dealing with them and saying we're okay yes i would say those things move through us rather than we move through them emotions are energy mm -hmm. in motion unless you don't let them move in which case their energy not in motion and then they become stuck and kind of unpleasant and ugly enlightenment or awareness of your divinity doesn't mean you don't have emotions it means you don't get into a big story about them you experience them you understand them meaning you understand its energy and not who you are and it's something that will move through if you let it if you don't get into a big story about why you're feeling this way and instead just let yourself feel it so if i'm angry i avoid the temptation to explain why i'm angry or tell everybody why i'm angry <laughs> or justify being angry which tends to make anger stick around rather sit in it and say okay i'm angry what do i need right now for me especially with anger i don't have a lot of that these days but when it does come up, I have found the best question I can ask myself is, what am I afraid of right now? What mm -hmm. is my fear? Because anger to me is always a defense. When we experience anger, uh, we're actually experiencing fear and we don't like fear. So we get angry like a cornered animal. So emotions are information. I always, I always want to become curious and investigate, why am I sad? What, is, what am I feeling right now? Maybe it's because something happened outside of me, but usually if it's sticking around, it's because I'm not attending to something that I need or I want. Mm. Very wise. <laughs> Very wise. <laughs> so, so I don't I don't want to give all of your wisdom away. So if people would like to work with you, where can they find you? Uh, well, I have my website. That's probably the best way. It's just www.catherinelenard.com. Simple, easy. I, I would say it's not my wisdom to give away. It's wisdom that's <laughs> available to everybody. I'm one of many translators. That's how I like to think of it. I'm just translating it in my own language. And if that language works for you, fantastic. And if it doesn't, there's someone who speaks your language, find them. 
but yeah, I do individual sessions and I've been doing monthly groups. I have, uh, I've been doing the first Tuesday of the month. The next one is the first Tuesday in November at 1030 Pacific time. Um, and then I won't be doing one in December, but then come January, I will be doing something, something of that nature. Uh, and those are by donation or free. I, I don't charge any particular thing for those. So in order to have access to those, go to my website and sign up for the email list. I promise, A, I do not sell that information to anybody and B, I very rarely send emails <laughs> unless there's something to announce. So um, you won't get bombarded by them, but that's, Perfect. that's the best way. I will add your links into the show notes so people can click on them very easily. Wonderful. So, yeah, so I just have one question that I like to wrap things up with. And the okay. question is, if your inner voice had a billboard, what would it say to the world? I am. Okay. <laughs> it's literally all it has to say is I am. I'm real. I exist. I'm truth. I am. Excellent. <laughs> I like that. I like the simplicity. <laughs> I thought I was going to have to think about it for a minute, but it was there before I knew it. Great. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Me. I'm so honored. I'm what great questions. How fun. <laughs> I could talk about it for hours. I yeah. literally it's my favorite thing to talk about. Perfect. Yeah, I didn't have too many notes. I just wanted to kind of go with the flow. So the way to go. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you're listening and you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and rating this podcast as it really helps get this podcast out to other people who might be interested in hearing it but don't know about it yet. And also, if you'd like to contact me or reach me, you can reach me at unconditioningpodcast at gmail.com or unconditioningpodcast on Instagram. Thank you so much. And until next time... Stay tuned in to you.